Welcome. This sermon podcast is a production of Refresh Community Church, where Dr. Carlos Smith is our lead pastor. Our vision is to see our hearts refreshed by Christ's presence, our relationships renewed for Christ's purpose, our lives rebuilt by Christ's power, and our communities restored by Christ's people. We pray that you are blessed by today's message, and we look forward to seeing you in person soon. I want to welcome you once again uh, to the Journey Hanley Road. Uh, for those who may not know who I am, I'm Pastor Carlos Smith. I'm the lead pastor here at Hanley Road. And here at the Journey, our vision is to see our city awakened to and transformed by the love of Jesus. And so if you are here with us today, I am grateful that you are with us, that you are worshiping with us, um, that you are walking and chose to uh, be with us this morning. There are so many other places that you could have worshiped, whether in person or whether you're in virtual land, um, a lot of places you could have chose to hang out. And I'm glad that you are with us today. So welcome to my friends and family who are here in person, as well as uh, my friends and family um, who are with us via YouTube and Facebook Live. Um, I'm going to be continuing a sermon series that we have been walking through on marriage. Um, and last week we've had four sermons on marriage. Um, and then we concluded the marriage pers- uh, p- uh, portion uh, with a panel discussion last week. Were you all blessed by the panel discussion last week? Amen. It was, it was a blessing. It just ministered uh, to me. I, I had a lot of people who was like, man, Carlos, you didn't even say nothing. I said, I, I didn't have to. We just had, um, I just, y'all didn't been hearing me talk a whole lot. I hung out. Um, and which, I was more there just in case somebody wanted to throw a lob a question at me about something I said in the sermon. I was there more for that reason. Um, but our moderator, Ms. Sabrine, Mrs. Sabrine Rhodes, uh, did a phenomenal job uh, moderating. And... And our couples just had some insights. I mean, they had some, they had some real talk for y'all, amen? I, um, I was blessed and walked away better, um, and I pray that you all were too. And so now, um, we are going to uh, be treating um, the topic of singleness, and I am dedicating the next two sermons uh, to the topic of singleness, talking uh, to those who are single. Um, and then after the next couple sermons on singleness, we're going to have a panel discussion on singleness. Um, one of the things, amen, uh, one of the things that I've heard consistently from singles is that they often feel neglo- ignored or neglected by the church, um, that they feel that their needs and their concerns are not regularly addressed. Um, and that's a strange state of affairs considering that the guy um, that we prayed to for 33 years was a single man. Um, and uh, that the Christian uh, scriptures and theology has robust and, and ma- uh, magnificent things to say um, on the state of singleness. And so we're going to dig into uh, this today. So if you have your Bibles, um, I know I've been hanging out mostly in, in Ephesians, um, and then I hung out in Corinthians, but today we're going to be over in the book of 1 Thessalonians, chapter 5, verse 23. And I, you know, I'm going to be honest, I don't even have an easy way to tell you how to get to 1 Thessalonians. So... Um, Paul wrote it is after the Gospels, after Acts and Romans and all that stuff. If you just use your table of contents, uh, you'll be totally fine. First Thessalonians chapter five. And if you would stand with me in honor of the reading of God's word. As y'all get to First Thessalonians, I'm gonna give y'all a heads up. I've been um, nursing this weird, um, I, I've been trying to figure out, I thought I had a cold or something, but it turns out um, Sabrina diagnosed me this morning, there's probably allergies. Um, and um, I've... Uh, just been having this weird drainage that has been resulting in a weird tickle in my throat. So if I got to turn off my mic and just have a coughing spell for a few minutes, don't worry, I'll be right back. Uh, just keep, keep me lifting in prayer. It's just this weird drainage thing. It's been terrible all week. I was in meetings with people, had to tell them over and over again I didn't have COVID. It was terrible. Uh, it's like, I promise I don't have COVID. <laughs> I didn't cough on them. So I promise it ain't COVID. Uh, so anyway, uh, but pray for me this morning. First uh, Thessalonians 5, 23, and we're going to be looking at just verses 23 and 24. And here's the reading from the word of God. Now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit and soul and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. Amen. Let me pray for you. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you and we praise you because 
You are good and your mercy endures to all generations, God. Um, we thank you that for you, uh, singles and people who um, are not married and are not in traditional families are not an afterthought. They are not uh, people who are second-class citizens, but God, they are people who are made in your image, who are um, at the top of your list, so much so um, that when you became a man and you walked on this earth for 33 years, you did so as a single man. And so, God, we thank you because we believe that the scripture has much to teach us about singleness and how to walk, um, not only in integrity and not only to survive, but to flourish and to thrive according to your will. So, God, teach us from your word uh, what you would have us to know, um, not only for those who are singles, but even for those uh, who are married. It is in Jesus' name that we pray. Amen. Amen. You may have your seat. For a topic this morning, I want to lift um, a moment, just a thought, singleness and shalom. Experiencing the wholeness, experiencing wholeness in your season of singleness. Singleness and shalom. Experiencing wholeness in your season of singleness. Um, you know, as, as I prepare for this message, I, I got to be honest, um, I struggle with what approach I should take. Um, beginning to uh, talk about singleness. I, I made it my point to talk to a lot of people when I'm dealing with something where I feel like, hmm, what, 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 not only does the scripture say, but where are people? I make it a practice to have conversations. So I had conversations with a lot of my single friends and um, I asked them, hey, um, you know, I'm a preacher. Most of them know that already. Uh, and I said, I'm not, not going to use your information in my sermon. Like, I'm going to identify you by it. Uh, but uh, just curious, what do you need to hear? about singleness. And I heard a variety of things. I heard everything from some folks were like, hey, I'm single and I'm actually good. I'm super straight, enjoying being single, ain't trying to undo that anytime soon. Uh, thank you very much. So just tell me to keep going. Um, uh, <laughs> then I heard some people who say, you know, I'm single and this is ghetto than a mug. Like, please, Lord, get me, get me out of this horrible ghetto of singleness immediately, please. Uh, this is terrible. Um, and then I heard some people who uh, were somewhere in the middle. They were like, hey, I'm, I'm open to relationships and things like that. Uh, and, but, you know, whatever. I'm kind of cool. I'm kind of chilling. And so then I decided that I would get on the Internet and see what the Internet had to tell me about flourishing in my singleness. And y'all can imagine all the things um, that, I, <laughs> that I picked up there. It was, it was a very fascinating thing. I actually enjoy reading. I know a lot about what the Bible and certain theologians say, but I am fascinated by what secular just humanism has to say about these things. It's absolutely fascinating. Um, and so, so a lot of it was actually good and helpful, some good common grace stuff, some things that would encourage you. And some of it was just like, woo, that's a... Uh, I don't know how that's going to work. Um, some of it I felt was a bit of a bomb, like, you know, just, you know, do all this stuff and, you know, try to enjoy your singleness and things like this. And then I'm like, you know, how many trips can you take? How many times can you take yourself to the movies? Um, you know, I just started asking questions. Um, and so I, I even fought with the title of my message. Um, I, I thought about talking to y'all about, uh, you know, for, for my ladies, five surefire ways to find your Boaz. Uh, so who was going to do that? Because I'll be watching, I, I listen to a lot of people, man, and some of these like self-help preachers, they really doing their thing. I'm like, you know, and I'm like, oh, they be having stuff like this. Um, and then I thought about, you know, talking to the fellas, like, you know, uh, <laughs> I was like, you know, talking about maybe shooting your shot, how to up your percentage and play to win or something like that. Um, sounds aggressive, doesn't it? Or, you know, seven major keys for surviving cuffer, cuffing season without nobody or something like this. But I, I wrestled through a lot of stuff. I read a lot of stuff. But the more I prayed and I talked to the Lord and asked him, like, God, what do people who are walking through a season or a lifetime of singleness need to hear? What the Lord reminded me over and over again is that they need to hear um, and all of us need to be reminded of things that are foundational for how to live and to flourish and how their singleness can be a time of flourishing and how it's undergirded by my holistic purpose for their life. Um, that God isn't just concerned about one little piece of our life, that he's not just concerned um, about one little place, but that God is able and is concerned with giving us a foundation that transcends across all areas of our life. And then I began to think about the variety of singles in our congregation. Some people, as I noted, are single and looking. Some people are single and never married, and they're content to be single. Other people are divorcees, maybe once, maybe twice, maybe multiple times. Some people are widows. And while people, when we think of singleness, we tend to think of that person that is single and looking, but we got a variety of people who are in a variety of place. And God said, what people actually need to hear about is how to be whole during this season of singleness. 
that they are not fragmented, that they're not somehow broken, but that they can actually walk in wholeness during this season. You know, even the texts that we have looked at over and over again that regards marriage, uh, things around uh, the text that says that the two shall become flesh, you notice that God is always interesting with how he does math in the scripture. That God always comes out. He says weird things like, you know, the Father, Son, and the Holy Spirit, and these three are one, right? And you kind of figure out for the individual, for the deity that created mathematics, that created calculus, um, that put in place the laws of physics, it just seems that he does math in really strange ways. And so he says here that two shall become one flesh. He doesn't say two fragmented or two halves shall become a whole or two thirds and two thirds and then another third shall come. He says, no, there are two whole individuals who actually become one flesh. And I'm convinced that one of the reasons that we see much of the issues, much of the fallout, much of the trouble that we see in relationships, in dating, in the pursuit of marriage, and in the pursuit of having covenant relationships is that you have people who are actually fragmented and they're trying to come together and make a whole, but they're too broken to do that because they're brittle and have issues and rough edges where the two broken pieces can't actually make a whole. And so what God says is that we need to have two holes that become one. And so before I jump into dating tips, I'm going to have some practical stuff for you. I really am. I ain't going to leave you out there hate, um, hanging. You know, as before we jump into practical stuff or, you know, telling you when to swipe left on your date nap, I want to talk about some of the practical ma- uh, the benefits of prioritizing your wholeness and your shalom as an individual. And so what are, what are the benefits of saying, how do I focus on becoming a whole person, on walking in wholeness before the Lord, on the Lord doing some work in my body, in my soul, and in my spirit, and repairing some of the things um, that in my life have been broken before I start thinking about, or as I think about dating and relationships. I think, number one, if you prioritize being whole, you'll be prioritizing your relationship with the Lord. Um, I also think um, that part of being whole and part of uh, prioritizing your wholeness and your shalom and your season of singleness um, is actually deepening and understand, deepening your understanding of yourself. You know, Augustine, he says this in the Confessions. He says, how can you draw close to God when you are far from yourself? And then he prayed, Lord, pray that I may know myself, that through knowing myself, I may know you. Throughout Christian understanding, there's always been this understanding that you have to know yourself better and better if you're actually going to know God because God reveals himself, and as he reveals himself, he brings us to a knowledge and to a realization of who we are as individuals that helps us to come to him in truth and in honor and come to him in purity as we grow. You know, if you're single and looking and you're like, Carlos, I I just want some practical tips and all this stuff. I I don't really want to hear you talking to me um, about how to be whole, how to be more put together, how to get myself together. I want to say that if you spend some time on your own own wholeness, um, you may actually be able to give attention to how to become the kind of mate that you want to meet. Um, it's easy to sit back and talk about the kind of person that you want to minister to you, the kind of person that, you know, and all of us had that list, right? You know, I want them to be, whoa, Siri. No, Siri. Oh, goodness gracious. No. Lord, I don't know what I said. But anyhow, Siri, Siri is looking for a mate, obviously. Uh, <laughs> but it's easy. It's easy to have a list where you're dictating, you know, he needs to be 6'5", he needs to make 350K, he needs to have a degree from an Ivy League school, he needs to fast three days a week, he also needs to be a thug, um, a sensitive, you know, sensitive, walk with Jesus, take me on long walks, carry guns, no karate. Like, you know, it's, it's easy to have those kind of lists. It's easy. But it's much more difficult. And more challenging, I won't say difficult, it's it's challenging to look yourself in the mirror and say, am I the kind of person, and we've already had questions around this, am I the kind of person that can be whole so that when I come into a relationship, I'm not just bringing a bunch of baggage and demands, but I'm actually able to pour into the person that I'm connecting with. And so prioritizing your own wholeness is going to actually set you up to be in a place where should the Lord send you that person, that special somebody, that you will actually be pouring into them and not just making constant withdrawals because it's just like a bank account. Any relationship is just like a bank account. The more you withdraw, if you don't make deposits, you're going to overdraft. And so you have to figure out how, what am I bringing to the relationship to sow into a person? And, you know, even as we think about our married people, because uh, the married folks say, well, it's too late for me. I can't be whole because I'm already one with somebody else and both of us ain't whole. 
Um, but here, here's a fascinating thing, um, is that as much as we emphasize the oneness of marriage, as I talked about how God functions, um, our oneness in marriage does not uh, obliterate our individuality. Our oneness in marriage does not flatten the person. Carlos, how do you know this? Think about this thing called the Trinity. I just talked to you about it. The Father, the Son, and the Holy Spirit, these three are one, yet the Father is not the Son, the Son is not the Father, and the Spirit is neither Father nor the Son. While they are three, they are one. They are individuals and yet one essence that connects them. One of my favorite poets is this um, guy by the name of Khalil Gibran. He's a Lebanese poet from the early uh, 20th century, and he talked about marriage. He wrote a lot of poems about marriage and about a lot of things in life, but he talked about a married couple. He said, you were born together, and together you shall be forevermore. You shall be together when the white wings of death scatter your days. You shall even be, be together in the silent memory of God, but let there be spaces in your togetherness, and let the winds of the heavens dance between you. Love one another, but don't be bound by love. Let it rather be a moving sea between the shores of your souls. Feel one another's cup, but don't drink for one cup. Give one another your bread, but don't eat of the same loaves. Even as the strings of a lute are alone, though they quiver with the sounds of the same music. Give your hearts, but not into one another's keeping, for only the hand of God can contain your hearts. That's what Gibran says to those that are married. So even if you are married, there's a reality in which you have to think about how can I be whole, not only in, in my marriage sake, but I'm going to be honest, for those who have had struggles in marriage, if your heart is so, and your identity is so intertwined, it can sink you and tank you in a way that nothing else can. And so all of us, married, single, have to find our wholeness in who God is. And so I know we're looking at this text like, Carlos, how did you land in the book of First Thessalonians chapter 5 in this benediction of St. Paul as he prays for this church and I landed here because it's a fascinating piece. It's the only text in the uh, entire Bible where the tripartite uh, makeup of humanity is listed, where he talks about the spirit, the soul, and the body. As Paul concludes this book where he has emphasized to the Thessalonian church, which is a church he planted back in Acts 17, he emphasized to them that they need to be a people that are sanctified. And sanctified is just a $20 way of saying becoming more like Jesus. While your salvation is monergistic and God comes and moves sovereignly on your heart, transforms you and brings you into the kingdom, he does this work called sanctification in which we progressively, gradually become what we are. We become more and more like Jesus. And what Paul presents us in this text is that this sanctification is actually holistic. It's not just in your spirit. Some of us think that God is only concerned about our spirit. He's only concerned uh, about bringing us into salvation. He's only concerned about spiritual matters. But Paul pushes back against that. And his prayer is that God would make them whole, that God would sanctify them body, soul, and spirit. Now, I know some of y'all are listening and you're kind of like wondering, like, Carlos, where did you get this emphasis on wholeness and shalom? And if you look at the text carefully, look at what it says. It says, may the God of peace sanctify you completely. Now, this phrase here, the God of peace, the, word, the Greek word here, Irene, um, is actually the word that translates shalom in Hebrew. And so shalom is not just this picture of peace in the sense of absence of conflict. Um, but it's peace in the sense of complete wholeness, flourishing, and what God intends for each and every one of us. And so when we think about this idea of biblical peace, um, this idea of biblical shalom, even in, in, even in our singleness, it applies because this idea of God making us whole, making us well, is not just isolated to one little piece or compartment of our life, but it touches everywhere where we are. And not only that. Not only is God focusing on our shalom, our wholeness, our flourishing, but he says he wants us to do, that he wants to do it completely and in totality. Look at the text. It says that he may sanctify you completely and do it with your whole spirit, soul, and body. This means that if you're a single person, this means that God isn't just saying that I care about you up to when you're single. I, I care about you, uh, you know, only when it comes to you reading your Bible and pursuing these types of spiritual disciplines. It says, no, I care about you and I'm concerned about you becoming more like Jesus completely, thoroughly in every, in every aspect of your life. And, you know, it's interesting because when we start thinking about sanctifying and singleness I, and becoming more and more like Jesus, I, I begin to wonder. I say, God, well, what does that mean for those who are 
single. What does that mean uh, for those who are without someone? He says, well, you know, my, my son was single. Now he is pledged to the body of Christ. There is union with Christ that will be consummated at the coming of the day. But he lived his entire life as a single man. So if you want to know what it looks like to do singleness well, you can actually look at Jesus. And Jesus was a whole, complete, healthy person. And so when we think about this and we think about these matters, I don't want to belabor the hour. I want to set before you about what your shalom, your peace, your holiness, your uh, flourishing in singleness looks like from this text. And this, the outline is right in front of you. It's in the text. Um, he says that he wants to sanctify you in your spirit, your soul, and your body. So as I thought about it, I had these ideas come up. Is that shalom, peace, flourishing, and singleness, it first means being whole spiritually. If we're going to talk about what it means for you to flourish in your singleness, it means being whole spiritually. Look at the text. It says that God himself is the God of peace. That, you know, for my, um, I got some, uh, some seminary folks here who are uh, hanging out in seminary, Arcellus and Bernie and those guys, they're doing Greek and stuff. And I, uh, I was just talking to Arcellus about Greek and uh, talked to Bernie all the time about doing Greek. And, uh, you know, I'll throw out a little, little Greek for y'all so y'all don't think I forgot mine. Um, but it says the God, the God of peace. This is uh, for my Bible scholars, which you would call a genitive. And a genitive just means that something is going on there with that word of. And it's a genitive of source for my Bible scholars and my seminary students. Um, and what does that mean? It means that God is the source of your peace. Um, and so when you start to think about what it means to live out your singleness in shalom and to walk out your singleness in flourishing, you have to be whole and in connection with the God of peace. May I submit to you that one of the challenges and the reason why some of us are wrestling through and wrestling with our singleness and wrestling with what it means to be by yourself is because we have put something on the throne of our life that's not God. And for some of us, the desire for a relationship and for marriage has become the God and the thing that we spend most of our time chasing. It becomes not just a desire, and I think it's right. It's, it's good and it's right, and we are wired, and we should desire a relationship. But for some of us, that desire has become an outsized desire. We spend far more time thinking about how to get ourselves unsingle and how to get ourselves into a relationship. We spend more time going through our DMs. We spend more time swiping through dating apps. We spend more time catfishing people on IG than we actually spend pursuing and being in the presence in the face of Jesus. So that the desire, which is a good desire, like any desire that becomes outsized, can actually become an impediment to us knowing Christ. And so if you're going to have peace, flourishing, shalom, you have to first put God in his rightful place in our lives. And by the way, didn't that, that isn't just isolated to singles. Anybody can put anything on the throne of their life and make it God. And so this idea that if we are going to actually flourish, God has to be in his rightful place and I know you're like, okay, Carlos, that's good from a like intellectual theological thing. How does that happen practically? And I began to pray about that. And I remember the text that this is a text that has always been near and dear to my heart, and it's from Psalm 86. And it's when David prays a prayer when he says, Unite my heart to fear your name. Unite my heart to fear your name. What is David praying there? He's praying that God is so easy for my heart for my soul to become distracted by all the things. It's so easy for my heart and for my soul to become distracted by the loneliness that I feel when I'm by myself at night. It's so easy for my heart and for my soul to become distracted by all of the desires that it feels that can't be uh, satisfied by anybody or anything or anybody that's out there. If we can become distracted. For some of us that are actually single and content, some of us are single and content. I think we need to ask ourselves, are we single and content because we're pursuing after Jesus? Or are we single and content because we put something in the place of Jesus and we're so focused on that that we actually, not only are we not thinking about relationship, we didn't think about Jesus much at all either. And so our focus is on our drive, on our accomplishments, on whatever it is. In reality, we think we're being focused and we're doing what we ought to do. But the truth of the matter is we've put something on the throne of our life that's not God. And when we think about the relationship wrestles with desires and, you know, some of y'all, I know some of y'all are kind of like Carlos, you know, it's like, bro, look, I hear what you're saying, um, but I'm tired of sleeping by myself. There are some needs that I have, Pastor Carlos, that... Um, I thank God for Jesus, but I just don't know if Jesus can actually satisfy those desires like that. I don't know if that's how 
Jesus works. And, and, and I get it, and I understand it, and I, I, it's been a while since I've been single, but I've been reading some things by some other uh, single people and, they, and people who are pursuing after Christ, and they begin to talk so much about how, inc- how incredibly important it is to find the connection with God and focus on it. Um, and I began to think about a guy in the scriptures named Peter. Now, Peter, y'all may know Peter. Um, he got himself in a lot of trouble. Wasn't necessarily single. Got himself in a lot of trouble all the time. Always had something to say. Always had something creative to say. And Peter steps out once when he sees Jesus. Think about this. You see Jesus walking on the water in the middle of the storm. Jesus is walking across the Sea of Galilee in the middle of a windstorm. Peter sees Jesus come out and step on the water. And he says, everybody else is just scared, not sure if it's Jesus or a ghost. Peter is bold, and he says, God, if it is you, call me to come out and let me walk on water too. Bold. I love Peter, his boldness. And so Peter steps out on the water, and he starts walking out on the Sea of Galilee, and he starts to stroll around out there. And as long as he looked at Jesus, he was fine. But then the Bible says he began to look at the wind and the waves around him, and he began to sink when he took his eyes off Jesus. And it was fascinating to me because I was like, what was Peter looking at? What caused Peter to sink? What caused Peter to sink was the fact that he was paying the most attention to the thing that could not hold him up. And he took his eyes off the thing that could. Listen, brothers and sisters, I know factually that it is difficult and it's hard. And some of you feel like you are being swallowed up in your season of singleness. But the more that you put your focus there rather than on Christ, the more it actually will swallow you up. I want to encourage you this morning to lift your eyes and place your eyes on Christ and do that in a way that allows you to go through all the things that will pull at you and try to get you to find the satisfaction there. Listen, we know that the satisfaction that the world offers is temporary, it's transient, it doesn't satisfy. We, most of us have tried it. Most of us have gave it a shot. And we know it doesn't work. You know, it's that famous quote from Augustine, right? Thou hast made us for thyself, O Lord, and our heart is restless until it finds rest in thee, right? It's it's that old quote that if you've been in church for any amount of time, you've experienced. And what's fascinating about that is, you know, we often see Augustine, these pictures of him as like an old dude just sitting there all crusty and stuff. We'd be like, of course he would say that. It's like, no, nobody wants him. Of course he wants his life satisfied in Jesus. Like, I mean, look at him. He's bald. Uh, And like, nobody of course. Why would, why would he, he's like 85 years old, of course his life is satisfied in Jesus right now. What a lot of us, what a lot of us don't know about Augustine is that Augustine was like a player for years. Like before he became Augustine, a church father, Augustine was like going around the Mediterranean just, just being a Mac basically for like a really long time. I mean, Augustine, he was a philosopher and an orator. And during this time, he might as well have been a rapper because they were the most famous people. During, like People would fill up stadium, stadiums to come and listen to him talk. And so he had his pick of when Augustine just, I'm, I, I, hey, look, the brother been dead about 1,500 years. We might as well tell it all now. Augustine, <laughs> Augustine had a mistress. He had a baby on the side. He had all kinds of stuff going on. Like You got to read Augustine as somebody who had lived some life, you know? And so the person who is telling you to find your satisfaction of Jesus, he actually tried it. He actually tried all these other things and he found that they were wanting, that they were lacking, that they didn't fulfill. He wasn't just speaking as a person in isolation. And so I want to encourage us to find our shalom by being whole spiritually, by focusing on Christ, because nobody else can handle the full weight of who you are, not the things, not the people that you're seeking, not any relationship. And I want to encourage you that as you think through it, here's the reality, that some of us have put an inordinate weight on that space And when we get it, it's not going to satisfy. When we finally get that person that we think is going to make us happy, going to make us whole, going to give us joy, going to give us contentment, we're going to be sorely disappointed and going to end up back in the same space. So wherever you are, whether you're single, whether you're married, whether you're dating, you have to go by the way of getting yourself whole before God and getting yourself whole through relationship with Jesus. But not only that, Paul prays in his benediction. He says that, may the God of peace himself, the God of shalom, the God of flourishing, the God of wholeness, sanctify you completely. And not only may your whole spirit be sanctified, but your soul be sanctified. This shalom and singleness that you are seeking, not only does it mean being whole spiritually, but I want to submit to you that it also means being whole emotionally. Paul 
While not dividing the human person, it's hard to parse out the human person in the three, three neat categories. There are these distinctions in how we function. And so the soul, the Greek word here is psyche. Um, and it's the word which we get psychic. It's our, it's our mind. It's our emotions. It's our will. Um, it's all of the things that animate and drive us. It's our emotional world. It's our desires. It's all those things. And I want to submit to you, as this text does, that God cares about our emotional wholeness and wellness. If we're going to, before we start thinking about all the tips and tricks to being single, single, I think we have to go by the way of becoming whole emotionally. It shouldn't have to be said, but it needs to be said that God actually does care about our emotional life. And if we all take inventory of our life, every single one of us, let's be honest, every single one of us can look back over our life. And some things we, you know, we blame on the devil. Well, the enemy towed that relationship up or... The enemy told us up, but sometimes it, it, it wasn't necessarily the enemy per se directly. Sometimes it was our own emotional unhealth and immaturity. And some of us are in a place where God is calling us to do the emotional work that we have to do in order to get whole. Whether we're single and looking or whether we're just single and seeking to connect and be a better friend, a better aunt, a better uncle, a better brother, a better mentor, we have to go by this way of dealing with our emotional world. You know, a guy by the name of uh, Pete Schizero, um, he wrote this book that I encourage every single one of you um, to read. It was paradigm shifting for me. It's called Emotionally Healthy Spirituality. And in this book, Brother Schizero argues that you cannot be spiritually mature while remaining emotionally immature. And when I say this brother, like, I just, I, when I say he beat the brakes off me in seminary, I mean, I read this book and it was unbelievable. And he named 10, 10 qualities of an emotionally unhealthy spiritual person. And I was just checking the list. I'm like, gosh, dang, man. And, you know, I will not go through all 10, but it was three that stuck out to me that I thought I would put before us. And one thing he said is that we can use God to run from God. As Cazero talks about how God is actually trying to get us to sit in our emotional unhealth, sit and deal with those traumatic events that happen, process through the baggage that we have, and we're so busy trying to say, okay, well, let me just join another small group. Let me read more of the Bible. And y'all know I'm a pastor. Like, we want you to do that. But we begin to use those things as tools to deflect from the work that God is actually trying to do in our hearts and in our emotions and in our soul to get ourselves together, not only for a relationship, but for a relationship with somebody else, but with a relationship before him. And so Scazzaro also argues, not only can we use God to run from God, but we can also ignore the anger, the sadness, and the fear, and all these things that are happening within us. And we'll say things like, you know, some of us actually think that anger is inherently sinful, that fear is inherently sin sinful, that being sad is sinful. And so we'll do, you know, we'll, we'll be depressed, we'll be sad, we'll be down, and we'll, somebody will say, hey, how you doing? We'll say, blessed and highly favored. And we'll put on a mask. We'll come in and we, we, we'll push down all the stuff that's going on in our minds and hearts and we will look like we got it all together and the whole time we are broken and falling apart and are an emotional mess. And God is saying, listen, if you are going to uh, walk into the, uh, in the sanctification that I've called you to, he says, I want you to be whole, not only spiritually, yes, I want you to have your Bible, yes, I want you to memorize scripture, yes, I want you at Grow Night, yes, I want you uh, to be diving deep and going into uh, uh, doing family devotions and making sure that you're cultivating a rich life before me, but I also want you to deal with the baggage of your past that is weighing you down. And then... The third thing, that brings me to the third thing that Scazzaro says, is that we can also often deny the impact of the past on the present. He said, you know, he talks about how, you know, he said, you know, we quote this, like, you know, old things have passed away, behold, all things become new. And listen, that is true, especially for those of us who got saved with the past. Some of us, all of us get saved with the past, but some of us got more past than others, right? Some of us were raised in good Christian environments, good Christian homes, and things were all good. And others of us, you know, it took a while. We came to Jesus a little later in life, and so we look back, and it's, you know, the blood of Jesus got to run a little further to catch up with all the stuff that we have done. And so we're eager to get past some of those things. But what Scazzaro says is that God is actually calling many of us to go back and do that hard work. Because the reality is, as we think about what it means in our singleness and in our relationship and our marriage, man, it is like a game of whack-a-mole. It is going to pop up. It is it as sure as you're alive. You, I used to have a mentor who used to always say, you pay now or pay later, but you're going to pay. 
And I want to encourage you, for my singles, listen to me, hear me out. I know I've said this about 18 times during this sermon series, but I just want to make sure you hear me. Pay now is better. <laughs> just, just pay before you walk across the aisle. Pay before God sends the person. Pay while you're still by yourself. Pay, even if you're not looking for a spouse, pay so that you can be the best version of yourself for whatever God is calling you to do. Because not only will emotionally, um, emotional unhealth sabotage our relationships, it'll sabotage our jobs. It'll sabotage our friendships. It'll sabotage our relationship with our family. And we'll be walking around talking about the devil show is busy. No, babe, it's you. <laughs> <clears throat> Satan, Satan, Satan is out in LA doing stuff. He ain't, it's you. And, 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 you know, we, we come and, and, and we sit and, and we wrestle. And we all got these backgrounds and these baggages and things. You know, some of us come from the type of household where you don't actually open up and talk about emotions, right? Especially, I mean, men and women can be bad about this, but guys, we tend to be the ones to take the cake with this one, right? You know, men and women can do it, but it's, it's guys a lot of times that, you know, you don't talk about emotions, you don't talk about feelings, you know, because we were raised being told stuff like you fall down and they tell you get up and don't cry. And you're hurt, right? But they tell you don't cry because men don't cry. You don't want to show weakness. You don't want to show vulnerability. And so you just learn to press down and you press down and then you keep pushing on yourself. Then you become a man that can't talk about emotions, can't talk about your heart. And you keep pressing down. And next thing you know, you're 65 years old, you land in a casket and they say, wow, he was a really good man. And you never learned how to deal with your issues. And it killed you. It broke you. And here's the truth of the matter is, brother, I'm just keeping it real. Some people don't know how to encourage you to open up. Some brothers and some sisters don't know to tell you to deal with your emotional health. And so they will put you in the box and say he was a good man. And I know they even put you there. They helped you out. Because they kept piling on, piling on, and you kept taking it, and you went beyond your breaking point, and went beyond your breaking point. And here's what going beyond your breaking point will do. It'll lead you to medicate in ways that you shouldn't medicate. That's why, you know, we talk about the old generations and stuff, you know, and I, I respect, you know, the generation like they knew how to stick with families. But let's be real. Sometimes they had whole other families around the corner. Had a, had a whole nother, had a whole set of cousins, had a whole siblings. Wow, we look so much alike. I don't know. Why do we? Unbelievable. And why? Because a lot of times in the past, men don't cry. And still today in 2022, we still say the same thing. Men don't cry. And brothers, I want to encourage you to deal with your mental and emotional health. To learn to find safe spaces where you can actually be broken and not be okay. Where you can cry like a man, like my brother Jason Wilson say. And shed those tears and be broken. Even if you feel like, man, maybe my house ain't a safe space. Maybe my family is not a safe space. Listen, I will help you. Our elders will help you. Our leaders will help you find that safe space. Because it's better than you dying from the stress of the world piling up on you. Then there are folks who, you know, they bury it. Or, or you know, some people come from these seemingly perfect households. You know, I used to idolize these because... I've told you a bit about myself. They're, they're, I did not come from a, you know, wonderful Christian nuclear family, you know, with, you know, all that good stuff. And, you know, so I would see that and I would, I would idolize it. I'm like, man, I wish. I mean, and I do definitely think that there would have been benefits to that. But I've also, as I've lived and I've learned that sometimes those perfect leave it to beaver looking households have so much dysfunction because things are not talked about. You got to put on the face, right? Because y'all the perfect family, Right. We got some of those in here, right? Y'all are perfect, everybody. In fact, y'all are the perfect family, and there are other people who are looking at you calling you relationship goals. And the truth of the matter is that while for others your relationship goals is actually falling apart, there's dysfunction, there's issues, lies, broken hearts, and it never gets dealt with. And so you avoid conflict. You never talk about things. You just avoid the conflict. You, you never deal with the issues that are going on. You just avoid it. You just keep putting it to the side. And over time, it just festers and builds, and you either just die with it or it explodes in your face because you've never dealt with it. And by the time you choose to deal with it, there are so many micro hurts that it is insurmountable to get over. And what God is saying 
is that I want you to grow not only spiritually, not only do I want you drawn close to me, not only do I want me to be on the throne of your life, aligned in spirit through my redemption through Christ, but I want your soul, your psyche, your emotions, and your will to be whole. Child, son, and daughter of God, I want to encourage you, especially my singles, listen, deal with this now. Because everything, and here's the truth of the matter, here's the truth of the matter is, you know, we talked about last week um, about like red flags, right? When to run from red flags. Can we be honest? How many, we all got red flags, right? Every single one of us are red flagging in a mug. Like every single person in here got a bunch of red flags. Here's the issue though. Here's the issue. You know, there are some red flags you should just, yes, take off running from. Those exist. But the question that we have to ask as we're dealing with ourselves and dealing with others in dating is, is the person actually working to address the red flags? Because here's the reality, you can do all the work in the world and you're going to drag the stuff into your marriage because we're still in a fallen world, we're still broken, we're still jacked up, you're going to pull it in. We're all going to bring all of that prior stuff and we're all going to have to sit down at a table of broken puzzle pieces and try to put all this stuff together. But the question is, are you willing and have you been doing the work? Are you on a trajectory, are you in a way to maybe make your red flags a little more yellowish? (laughs) You know, make them light red. Are, are, are you working to make yourself to become the kind of person that God is calling you to be? Schizero says in his book that the work of growing in Christ, what theologians call sanctification, does not mean that we don't go back to the past as we press ahead to what God has for us. It actually demands we go back in order to break free from unhealthy and destructive patterns that prevent us from loving ourselves and others as God designed. Many of us are praying for someone to love. Here's the truth. Unless we go back and do this work, we can't love them right. We can't love our friends right. We can't love those we're in relationship right. You know, I had, a, I had this whole situation, you know, as I was working through, this, uh, working through this sermon point. It was just like, it just took me back to my time in seminary. It was was very formative for me because um, that was the first time I ever heard the words emotional health, I think. Um, and by that point, I was, uh, you know, I was, it took me a while to get through undergrad. So I was about 25, 26 years old. Uh, and I remember reading this book. And so I remember sitting in a group. It was this group. They called it a covenant group that I had to be in. And um, it was actually like I had to be in this group because I had a particular scholarship that, like, made me have to be in this group of people. Um, so it was like forced friends, right? Like, <laughs> y'all, are, y'all will be friends for three years or else. And if you want, you want the scholarship, y'all are going to be the best of friends. So we, you know, the first semester we got in there. Man, we sat down. I would have never hung out with none of these guys. I'm just being honest. I mean, we were just sitting there looking at each other. I'm just like, man, they picked, how did, how? Why did we? <laughs> I couldn't believe it. I'm like, these wouldn't be my, like, my friend group, or my aces that I hang with. You know, so I sat down with these guys. In the first year, it was absolutely forced. Um, but we had a really good facilitator who did a good job of taking us gradually from being just literally guys who would have never talked to you know, by, by, our second, by our second year, we were actually growing together, being in a relationship, and our, our, our facilitator, he was, I mean, the brother was just massively skilled um, in helping to, helping to build this group. And I remember our second year, um, going toward, actually it was towards the end, going towards the third year, we began to delve deeper, um, and he wanted us to write out our life history. And I was like, what? My life history? Like, and I remember sitting there with some of the brothers, and one of the brothers, and he actually modeled first. He went first. And going through his life history, and I remember sitting there listening to him, and I began to, as he talked, began to unwind my own life history. And in the middle of him talking, I broke, I, and when I say crying, I mean ugly cry. I mean, not just a tear rolling down. I mean, I was bawling. And so much so that the group became distracted. They're like, bro, especially for me, because I wasn't, I wasn't a sensitive guy who was showing up bearing my heart, okay? Like, I just wasn't, I wasn't there for that. I was there to learn Greek, okay? Wasn't there to bear my heart and soul. Just wasn't. It's not what I was signing up for. But I began to cry, and what happened was as the brother began to share his story, I actually had a memory that came back to me so strong. I mean, it was like I was there again. I had never experienced nothing like this in my life, and I had actually suppressed this memory, and it was a memory of abuse. I had suppressed it so strong that I had actually forgotten it happened. I didn't even remember that it had happened to me. And when this brother began to share his story, it's like it transported me back to that place and the dam broke right there. And the brothers began to comfort me and we began to talk. And by God's grace, I was in a place where, where this facilitator and the brothers in this group, I, I, I look back on that group and that day they became my brothers because, man, they caught me in that moment. 
And my facilitator, he told me, he was like, okay, bro, we got to make sure we get you in some serious counseling and at Covenant, they got a great counseling center. And I went through, my last year seminary went through intense weekly counseling and it was like God rebuilt me bit by bit and it was a mess. I mean, when it, when it finally, it was like opening a, a, a time capsule and dirt had got in it and it was mud in that thing and it was funky and all kinds of stuff was going on and it's like it opened up. And bit by bit, it began to come back together. And what I remember sitting with one of my mentors at Covenant and talking to him about like, man, I literally told him I cannot go and be a pastor. Like, I am a wreck. Look at, look at this. Like, look at all this has, look at all this stuff that has been uncovered from all this mess that I've been suppressing, that I've forgotten all the stuff that's happened to me, all the stuff that I've done. No way I can be a pastor. And it was actually Jerem Bars, if y'all know who Jerem Bars is. And he sat there, and Jerem sat there, and he started crying with me. And I, and I was looking like, why are you crying? <laughs> And Jerem looked at me, he said, Carlos, you're going to be a phenomenal pastor because you have done this work. And you have sat where the people sat. And you have walked where they walked. And brothers and sisters, I share that, not to make this all about me, but to say I know the trepidation and the fear. I know what it means to repress and suppress memories and just try to forget half of your life because it was so traumatic. Like, I literally did that. My wife tell me all the time today, she's she like, you talk a lot, but you don't talk about yourself a lot. And it's because it was some trash stuff in the past. I don't, I don't really want to remember a lot of it. I'm, I like where I am today. It's much better, frankly. And what God is saying to you is like, yes, I know you've progressed. I know now you, you and Jesus, you, you, you walking with the Lord, you making money, you got a beautiful family. But the past will continue to sabotage you unless you go back and do the work. And this is the word of the Lord saying, listen, I want to sanctify you spiritually. I want you to walk in holiness. I want you to pursue after me. But I want to make sure that you are emotionally and in your soul, in your heart, in your will, in your desires made whole. And brothers and sisters, God has called us to that work. Now, I want to say this. And I don't know if you noticed this in the story that I talked about. That work and the things that happened to me, it didn't happen alone. It didn't happen in my prayer closet at all. Y'all see where it happened? It it happened in a community. It happened with people. And so even as we talk about um, experiencing shalom in your singleness and experiencing being spiritually whole and experiencing being emotionally whole, I know that may feel like a big weight. Well, I got to do all this work and I got to do all this stuff. Listen, you need some folks to carry you like the man on the mat. Some people that when you are broken, can't stand up for yourself, can't pray for yourself, are too down in the dumps that can actually carry you to Jesus and carry you on your path of emotional health. And so what this means for us, church folks with families, folks with kids and all this stuff, is that we have got to open our lives and our homes up to our single brothers and sisters. You know, I, I just want to talk to us, you know, folks with families and all that. You know, I talked to one of, the com- one of the things that recurred over and over again as I talked to my single brothers and sisters as I've pre- been preparing for this portion of the sermon series was that they talked about how they dreaded their friends having kids because they knew they wouldn't talk to them again. They talked over, I heard it over and over from men, from women, from everybody that they, when they found out that their friends were having babies, they knew that they would never see them again because their life would become so closed, so programmed that they wouldn't have any space for relationship. And listen, I understand some of that is a reaction to the, what some of us feel were the previous generations who just gave it all to building and gave it all to, um, to, to work and to career and all those things. But we cannot become so focused on the nuclear family that, we, that it becomes a thing that sits on God's throne in our life and we create no space for those that we love. <clears throat> you see, when we began to think about it, we, we were never designed. This whole, this whole thing where we get up, uproot from our family, go and just, it's, it's me, uh, me, my wife, my three kids and a dog and a white picket fence with nobody who comes in. That's, it's just never in human history. It's not supposed to work that way. To be honest, and while I'm over here, that's why so many of us are burned out with parenting. Because you're supposed to have some aunties and some uncles and some grandmas and some folks to help you out. <clears throat> That's why you get mad and want to beat the kids, all this, like, because you ain't got no help. We're not, it's not supposed to work that way. And so what God is saying to us is, listen, when we, when we begin to think about our single brothers and sisters, we've got to integrate them, not just in our lives, but become a part of one another's life. Open up our family, open up our lives so that they're not out here on islands. And then, I'm, I'm just throwing this out here. I told you I'm going to have some, some, try to give y'all some practical stuff. One real practical thing is some of the way we can look out for the emotional health of the singles in our lives 
is if you know somebody that might match with them, hook them up, you know? Like, for real. Like, some of us, like, shy away from that. Some of us actually, like, no, we, I don't want to do that. But do you know how improbable? I was talking to Pastor Kyle on this. He was like, you probably have a better, <laughs> this guy had to crack it up. He's like, you probably have a better chance of hitting the Powerball than the perfect match from you is going to introduce you, introduce himself to you at the gas station. Uh, <laughs> you just pumping gas and Boaz walk up, you know. <laughs> He's just been waiting. He just, you know, Ruth, is that you? Like, no, this is And so when we think about the place of community, it's actually more healthy, more helpful that we date, that we court within the context of community. This don't mean everybody all in your business, but it does mean that if you know somebody that's looking, and you know somebody else who's ready, not being afraid to make that connection, and then it doesn't stop there, keeping your family and your life open so that you can become a mentor couple and become somebody who can walk with them through the difficulties and the ups and downs and vicissitudes of marriage and relationships. But the reality is, is that all of us, it takes a complete community and village to walk with people, even as they're single, walking with them through wholeness. This wholeness does not mean, as I've tried to point out, does not mean just individual. It doesn't just mean by yourself. It still happens in a context of community. So shalom is singleness. It means being whole spiritually. It means being whole emotionally. But also shalom and singleness means being whole physically. Look at the text. It says, now may the God of peace himself sanctify you completely, and may your whole spirit, soul, and body be kept blameless at the coming of our Lord Jesus Christ. God cares about our bodies, the sanctification, the transformation, the perfection of our bodies. This means that at the return of Christ, God is going to bring us to complete wholeness in our health in every area of our bodies, including our health, nutrition, our wellness. That's another thing I just, I'm not going to major on this, but you know, if you're single, man, and you got some space, it's, it's way easier. I told you, pay now or pay later. As a dude with kids, trying to get in shape while you got kids running around and a family and all that stuff, it's much harder. You know, when you're single, you know, work out, you got a little more time on your hands, I think. Give it a try. But Paul here in 1 Thessalonians, in the context of this, he actually spent a lot of his time talking about sexual purity. He spent a lot of the book of 1 Thessalonians talking about how God set them apart and created them and made the body not for fornication and sexual immorality, but for sexual purity. And so he says, contrary to what the world may tell us, that God um, does not want sex to be easily accessible and inconsequential and cheap and not important, but it's something that is of prime. A profound consequence when it comes to reestablishing and establishing the heart and the heartbeat and the covenant of marriage. It is the sign and the seal of the covenant of marriage. I'm actually not going to um, belabor that point here because I preached a whole other sermon on, on sex and sexuality. I'm not going to do it again. Y'all can go back and listen to it. That, <laughs> that was enough. Um, but I talked a lot about singles and why it's important that as singles, we actually do honor what God says about sex and sexuality. God doesn't say that because he just wants to rain on your parade and make your life more difficult. He is saying reserve sexuality for marriage because it is my best for you and I have something even better when you keep it in this proper context. But not only that, I know you're like, okay, fine. Okay, keep it in my pants. I get it. Keep it zipped up. Gotcha. Um, is there anything else you would say positively? And I would say quite a bit positively. Um, that sexuality, when we start talking about bodily holiness or physical holiness, one of the reasons we struggle with it so much to my singles and to my married folks, because I ain't just singles struggling with it, the reason we struggle with it so much is because we have placed too much of a weight on sexual intimacy, so much so we think that intimacy is only sexual. And so because we are, and listen, I, I know like, yes, there are real sexual needs and desires that are not being fueled for you as a single person. I get it. I understand. And that's real. But at the same time, sexual intimacy is not the only type of intimacy there is. There's relational intimacy. There is uh, covenant friendship um, intimacy, which I want to encourage us towards to have Friends and relationships where we are experiencing relationships and emotional connection and knowing and being known in ways that transcend only the bodily. In fact, as I began to read historic Christian theology, I found out that Christians have a rich theology, a rich tradition of spiritual friendship that we often don't even look at. We don't look at it because in our culture, the only type of intimacy there is is romantic and sexual. 
But actually, as you began to read Christian historic Christian thought, it actually argues that the highest form of intimacy is actually not necessarily expressing itself in a sexual way, but that it's actually in friendship and connection that omits completely sexual intimacy. C.S. Lewis puts it this way. Those who cannot conceive friendship as a substantive love, but only as a disguise or an elaboration of erotic love, betray the fact that they have never had a friend. And so, obviously, we can look at the scripture and we see this picture of deep and abiding relationships. Think about what Jesus says to his disciples. I no longer call you servants, but I call you friends. Think about the most honoring title that the Bible gives to Abraham and Moses. He calls them the friends of God. There's this picture, and think about that for a moment. Moses is called the friend of God because he talked to God face to face as no other person ever talked to God, face to face. And Jesus is the only one to ever transcend Moses' relationship with God. And he does that because the Bible says that he is in the very, he comes from the very being of God. But Moses talks to God face to face. In other words, he knew God in a way that nobody else could know God. He saw him in a way that nobody else could see him. And so to have a relationship with a friend that knows you in a way that nobody else can know you, can see you in ways that no one else can see you, according to scripture, is a fine and a wonderful way to experience intimacy. But some of us have, cannot experience that intimacy because we've truncated intimacy to sexual. I actually think one of the best things we can do is seek to live according to the Bible's ethic when it comes to our body because it forces us to experience life in all of its breath and all of its diversity and all the ways that he calls us to connect to one another. And again, it's not just for our singles. It's also for our married people too as well. Your spouse is not supposed to try to bear the full weight of who you are. They can't do it. That's why you're so frustrated and disappointed. You need to have other friends, married people, especially married men. I was reading a whole article on this, how... Men over 50 don't have friends. Truth of the matter is, a lot of men under 50 don't have friends. Your wife is not supposed to try to bear the full weight of who you are. She can't. She can't. Sisters, he can't be your savior. He can't be everything to you. You have to have people who support different aspects of who you are. And so all of this can feel like a lot, can feel like, God, I want to be whole. Um, Is this ever going to happen? I want to leave you with the promise of this text. This is in verse 24. He who calls you is faithful. He will surely do it. When it comes to becoming whole spiritually, emotionally, and physically, the promise that we have as believers and those who follow Jesus is that God is going to do it. That we are not on our own. We're not on this island. This is a, this is a work that God does. I want to just point out in verse 23 that it says that the God of peace, may he himself do this completely. This isn't just in your own power. It isn't just in you trying harder and doing more. God is going to do it. God is going to work with us. And God is going to help you to go through and not only just endure and just make it through your season of singleness, but I believe God is calling us to flourish in our season of singleness. And that's actually what I'm going to talk about next week. I'm going to talk more and I'm going to dive more into flourishing and using your single singleness to the glory of God, because I believe that's what God is calling us to. And so as we get ready to wrap up, I got some discussion questions for you, just like I have this entire series. And these discussion questions are for our singles and for our married people. I broke it up into two questions. It's really one question, but I broke it up in half. Question 1A and question 1B. So here's your first assignment. Question 1A. On a scale of 1 to 10, rate your spiritual, emotional, and physical health. Why did you give yourself that score? And how can you raise your score in each area? Rate your spiritual, emotional, and physical health on a scale of 1 to 10. Why did you give yourself your score? And how can you raise your score in each area? Here is the second part of that question. Without sharing your answers, ask a friend, mentor, or spouse to rate your spiritual, emotional, and physical health on a scale of 1 to 10. Ask them to explain their answers and provide ways that they believe you can grow. So obviously the person that you present that second question to has to know you pretty well, whether that's a good friend, whether that's somebody you're in a relationship with, or whether that's a spouse. So rate yourself and then talk to a close friend or mentor or accountability partner or folks you're in community with and ask them, don't, don't give them your answers, don't try to shape it, don't try to you know, manipulate it and fix it, just ask them. Just, and if they ain't here today, it's even better. If they only know this question coming, I would, the, the more just out of left field it is, the better. 
and get some honest reactions. But ask that question and take self-assessment. Where are you? How is God moving and working in your heart? And if you didn't catch, um, catch the, the questions on the screen, um, they're in our Church Center app. Download Church Center app, go to Hanley Road. If you click on this Sunday, you'll see my sermon points as well as the discussion points. But God's call to us is to be whole, body, soul, and spirit. And the promise that we have is that he is going to do it for each and every one of us according to his power. Let me pray for us. Eternal God, our Father, we thank you because you have called us to wholeness. God, before we figure out techniques for courtship and dating and finding a mate, God, we got to stand before you as whole. A noted preacher once said, who we are before God in our prayer closet, that is who we are and nothing more. So God, I pray for our wholeness. God, I pray for our singles. God, I pray that they would thrive, that they would flourish in their singleness. God, I pray for those who are struggling in their singleness, who are experiencing bouts of loneliness, of struggle, of frustration. God, I pray that you would give them peace, that you would give them grace, that you would help them so that they may not only just make it through until they find somebody, but that they may flourish. God, we thank you and we praise you and we trust you in Jesus' name. Amen. Thanks for listening to our podcast. We pray this message has impacted you in a meaningful way. If you want to know more about how Jesus can change your life, we would love to connect with you further. Send an email to hello at refreshcommunity.church or come visit us at 829 North Hanley Road in University City, Missouri. Be sure to subscribe and share the podcast with your friends. Thanks for listening and see you next time.